Welcome to Center Ice, the Hockey Alberta podcast, home to all things hockey in our great province. Now, here's your host, Ted Emmett. Hello and welcome back to Center Ice. I'm your host, Ted Emmett, and we have a supersized episode eight for you. Episode seven was all about celebrating Black History Month, and we're going to continue to celebrate diversity in episode eight as we focus on equality in the game. We'll hear from Minnesota Wild defenseman Matt Dumba and his father, Charlie, Edmonton official Sanjeev Bagrath, and to cap things off, we chat with the Pittsburgh Penguins' new director of hockey operations, Brian Burke. It's been a few weeks since the last episode, and, and quite frankly, as, as far as sport goes in Alberta and really everything in Alberta, not much has changed since then. We're sitting here at the beginning of March, thought maybe the other day we we're going to hear some positive news from the government to move forward a bit. But unless you're, you're really missing the library, which I'm sure some of us are, uh, not much has changed in that regard. But teams are still able to get on the ice and, and I'm going to have to put on my, my Hockey Alberta Hall Monitor sash for a second here and just remind everyone that there are rules in place and that it's incredibly important that everyone follows these rules. So that's a max of 10 participants per group, including coaches. Indoor ice can be divided if the facility permits to create two separate groups of 10, but those groups of 10 must stay together during the session. So there's no rotation of coaches or players between the groups of 10 and everyone must be physically distanced by three meters during activity. And of course, there's no lingering or hanging out before or after practice, basically get in and get out. I know we're all exhausted and really sick of rules at this point and it seems like a lot but really the alternative right now is is this or no hockey at all so again let's make sure we're all following the rules and keeping ourselves on the ice because again it, it as we've seen doesn't take a lot to kind of move backwards again so go out there be safe be smart and of course those rules all that information is always up on hockeyalberta.ca should you need a little refresher so with that out of the way it's time to get to our first guest or should I say guests? We have a father-son duo joining us now, longtime official Charlie Dumba and his son, Minnesota Wild defenseman and Team Alberta alumnus, Matt. So thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us on. So Charlie, just to start off, could you tell us a, a bit more about your involvement in hockey in the province from what you've done as an official, but also just being a hockey parent of two boys growing up playing hockey at a high level? Well, I, I guess it all started with, uh, you know, just putting a rink in the backyard when we first moved to Calgary, it was a pretty big thing, I guess. It turns out that uh, 12 years of having a rink in the backyard is a pretty good thing. But uh, this would be my 30, uh, 32nd year of refing coming up. Uh, you know, I was a level five official in the WHL and, uh, and I did my all, all the way up to a level five official. And I, you know what? I, I think I, I did a lot of that before I had kids. And I think it gave me a unique little insight sometimes of uh, kids and how the game was and how it went and being at a high level and seeing how guys treated and took care of themselves. And I played to kind of like a junior B level myself, but I, I still played hitting hockey till I was 23 and senior men's and all that stuff. And then continued to play as a ref, but as you have kids and you decide putting this rink in the backyard and uh, making sure the ice was pristine in the morning so that when they seen it eating breakfast and they would say, oh, dad, the ice looks so good today. Say, so, yeah, you know what? When you get home and your homework's done, you can go on and not until then. And so they'd rush home and do their homework. And I think Kyle could tie his own skates when he has five to go out in the backyard. <laughs> By the time he got into Timbits and guys couldn't tie their skates, he was like, dad, what's going on around here? You know, but you know, I, I think a lot of it, uh, a lot of it had to do uh, and the love of the game comes from the backyard and, and the countless hours we had back there and uh, the, the friends phoning and saying, Hey Matt, do you want to go to the outdoor rink tonight? And he'd say, Hey, what? one second mom uh can the guys come to the backyard and they'd say she'd say uh yeah who's all coming and she'd, she'd he'd say yeah yeah you guys can come and they'd say okay and the doorbell would ring like i think they were in the driveway you know pretty much most of the time but we would have rather had them there than anywhere else and um uh you never get those times back and those times go really fast and next thing you know they're gone and 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 here they are on their way and and to have two boys that uh, gone through the levels that they've gone through um it is just amazing and um and we're still pinch ourselves today to you know know what's going on and all the other things that happened with uh, hockey alberta you know from a refing side this year we i got involved with the instructors to 
train the instructors and talk about, uh, you know, what's going on in hockey and, and trying to fix uh, some of the inequalities that are going on. And, and, and I'm glad I got involved with that and, and, and trying to make a difference and trying to make sure that, you know, guys can see it, not from my eyes, but maybe from Matt's and Kyle's eyes and, and how they viewed it and, and how those things are, are happening and they're still happening and how we want to, how we want to get rid of those things and what we're going to do to do that. Right. So, so obviously lots of passion coming from you both on the officiating side and, and just the hockey side as a parent um, and the, the inequality too, and the work you're doing, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on in a little bit as well. Matt, for you, obviously your home life, you can hear, hear the influence there coming from your family and you've had a very successful minor hockey career in, here in Alberta, growing up playing in Calgary. I know you, you moved from Saskatchewan uh, at a younger age and played a lot of your hockey in Calgary and in Alberta. You won a gold medal with Team Alberta at the very first Western Canada U16 Challenge Cup, which is now just the, the W. WHL Cup, and you even got to stay here in Alberta for your junior hockey, uh, having a very successful career with the Red Deer Rebels that led to the NHL. So really, how key was all your time playing hockey in Alberta uh, for you, for your growth as a player and as a person? Um, it's huge. I think um, as a younger kid growing up, I wasn't I wasn't really the best player. I, I worked hard. Uh, that was kind of the one deal uh, me and Pops made that you know, if he's going to be driving us around and paying for all this gear and trying to make ends meet uh, for us to play hockey, that I had to work hard uh, when I was out there. And, you know, that's kind of what took me to the next level when I did eventually hit a growth spurt, probably around, you know, Wee or Bantam. I was probably the same size as I am now as I was then. Um, so that was kind of, that was kind of funny how it all worked out. But back to what my dad said, yeah, the love of the game is all the, all the hours on the ODR with the boys, um, just the stories we have. And still those, those friends are my closest friends today. And, you know, we, we often reminisce about those times and, and wish we could go back to it. And actually my, my buddies back in Calgary right now are, uh, have built a, uh, built an ODR in their backyard um, that they're living at. There's like four of them living in the same house. So it sounds like they're having a pretty good time, but yeah, just being, being able to be in Alberta and, and play hockey, go up the ranks and stay close to home when I went to junior um, was really nice for me. Um, you know, it basically gave me the space and kind of the freedom to, you know, to start growing up um, away from home, but also my parents are up for almost every home game in Red Deer and um, you know, everyone knew them. <laughs> they're they're like celebrities when they went to the rink. So um, by the end of it, and uh, yeah, it was fun. There was uh, you know a lot of a lot of good memories uh, when I think back on it. And it's cool to hear even after all your time now in Minnesota and, and traveling all over North America playing hockey that those Alberta ties, your, your roots are still there. And really hockey is about a lot more than just what happens on the ice. As you both know, it's about building relationships. Uh, it's about growing as a person, gaining life experiences. So uh, for both of you, and we can start with Charlie, what kind of experiences has hockey given you and you and your family? Uh, and what have you been able to pull out of the game? Easy. I mean, the experiences have been, you know, I, I, I you know, my my refereeing experience has been that I I refed the Allen Cup final. I never played uh, that high, obviously, but it uh, but but I refed that high. So you know there was a, I think when you look back at some of the things that what you what you get out of it or what you you know what you were the best parts of it come from. I, some of the best parts are just going to watch those guys play and and, and you know or realizing that you're never you're not going to get to watch them play forever in Calgary when Matt was with Red Deer or when Kyle was with Calgary and they're at a home game and all of a sudden we're at a home game in Calgary and Matt scores and nobody's cheering. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is a home game for Calgary. Like <laughs> people are giving me a hard time because Matthew scored. I'm like, what? Like, uh, uh, you know, so, you know, there, there's so many memories and there's so many uh, things and, and, you know, I'm glad uh, that certain things my mom got to watch. Uh, Matt play at that level, you know, uh, she never got to watch him play world juniors because she passed away just before then. And, you know, she never got to see him play in the NHL and, you know, all those things, but she was a big person in my life that drove me to the rink. And, you know, when I started playing outdoors and uh, or when I started playing indoors, she drove me to the rinks and, and took me in. So, you know, I think there's a lot of things that come from that. And then I, I think we always want better for, you know, our kids, uh, you know, we think we didn't get as good a chance and we want to give them a better chance. So, yeah, um, for me, like, 
hockey's given me and my family everything that we have now and you know I'm so grateful for it that's why I want to share it with others and, and just make it as diverse and you know have that equity in the game so it's a level playing field so everyone has this opportunity because um, you know our family ourselves knows the challenges it, and stresses it puts on a family to put two th- kids through hockey you know let alone uh, a goalie my little brother was uh, uh, <laughs> my little brother was attendee uh, and uh, you know it's expensive so it's been awesome and then I think the other thing for me is just all the friends I've made um, through hockey, just lifelong friendships that, I, that I've had, you know, um, and that I will have um, with guys that I've played with, you know, right now and, and in the past, being able to share those, share those memories with uh, not only, you know, my buddies from back home, but also my family has been so cool. Like going to Helsinki for Grandland's wedding with, with my parents because they're, because we were best of friends and our, on the dad's trip, our, our dads hit it off and they became good buddies. You know, they don't even speak the same language. Still scratch my head on that one. <laughs> um, but like, it's just, it's just crazy where hockey can take you, um, you know, all over the world, travel to Europe, travel to Russia, all over the United States and Canada. I've seen so many cool places now. And, you know, I, I, I love it. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't change that for the world. And when you mention the equality in the game as well, of course, for all the amazing qualities hockey has, it's not perfect. And now more than ever, a really strong focus on making the game a safe and welcoming place for everyone, uh, stamping out inequality in all its forms. Uh, In this case, both of you are very involved in eliminating racism in the game. Uh, And while things have already come a long way and and will continue to improve, uh, what have you both experienced over the years in terms of inequality and racism in the game? Obviously, Charlie from a more of an officiating side and as a parent and, and Matt from the player side. Yeah. It's something that you deal with being uh, a college player on, on your team, especially in Alberta. Hockey's always been a white dominant sport and, and will be for years to come until there's, you know, a real change in progress and it becomes more accessible to uh, lower income neighborhoods. And we see more diversity in the game and kids feel that safety. Uh, when they come to the rink because you know I experienced this I experienced it all through my um, minor hockey career and some of it I told my parents some of it I did and you know and that came from seeing how the initial effects of it had on my family and not wanting to bring that pain and you know suffering to uh, to them you know I remember times where dad's pulling carrying us out of the rink because my mom's irate at you know what just happened and what was said to me on the ice the racial slurs um, and I see it's so sad like that kids are still dealing with that today. And that's kind of the role of the HDA and why we want to step, step up is um, to have a voice and show, that, show these young players that they're not alone. And other guys have went through it and felt their pain and had that confusion, that loneliness of being, you know, maybe one or two players on a team of any color. And knowing that your teammates may never have to experience this or don't understand or they, they can't see it on the way you do because you, they're not the ones going through it. And I was lucky enough to have a great group of friends that always had my back. Um, remember tournaments, like teammates, some of my best friends going over to other locker rooms to try to fight the kids after the game like, and see that that poses an issue in the game as well. And that's what happened. I, I started taking... You start trying to take it into your own hands and deal with it your own way. And that like just puts a lot of aggression and, and stress on, on younger kids. So I think the education part is a huge, huge piece of it. As we're moving forward and as we're trying to, uh, to grow the game and uh, make people more comfortable in it, because I, I truly believe that little kids, um, not every little kid, who uses a racial slur or says the wrong thing slips up is, you know, deemed an automatic racist. There needs to be a sense of grace when we're dealing with this and knowing what right from wrong, because at that age, you didn't, you didn't, you learned it from somewhere, whether that's your, your parents or what you've been watching on TV or, I don't know, the persona or perception of, you know, being cool or, you know, the bullying tactics of it. We just need to be eliminated from the game when it comes to race. And I, I think me and my dad agree on this point too. Um, the education process just doesn't start with the kids. I think um, 
it has to has to filter down mainly from you know from all the minor hockey boards to the parents to the officials to the scorekeepers you know volunteers everyone and and it's having everyone involved and holding that accountability so there can be real change in the game because far too often um things like this have just been overlooked or, or slid or you know kind of uh been uh, been pushed aside because that's how hockey is and you know uh, you're supposed to have tough skin in hockey and and uh, be mentally strong and, and fight back through those things so I think it's a little backwards so we have a lot of work to do in hockey but for a person who's trying to tell me that there's no racism in the game you you just haven't been around the game like you haven't seen the game you know nothing <laughs> like I honestly that that statement pisses me off more than anything because I deal with I have kids come through the locker room here in Minnesota you know handfuls of kids each year talking to them about the racism that they've faced on the ice and getting my teammates together Chris Stewart um, JT Brown Jordan Greenway over the years and to be able to talk to these kids and, and and tell them share our experiences with them it's it's so sad and and to see a kid that demoralized and have that resent against the game just breaks my heart because I, I love the game. And like I said, it's given uh, me and my family everything. So, yeah, it's it's still prevalent out there. and uh, There needs to be a change. And really, it, it is something that, that's hard to hear and unfortunate that it is going on and an uncomfortable topic that a lot of people, I think, don't want to talk about or don't want to admit. So that's why we always appreciate, um, you know, people like both of you standing up, speaking out. I think uh, the, the more we see that, the more change we're going to see. And I know, Charlie, uh, from from both the view of an official and as a hockey parent, you've really been outspoken. You know, you worked with our Hockey Alberta officials at the beginning of the year, and I know uh, we'll continue to do so. Uh, you really say that pair, both parents, officials, everyone needs to step up and take a stand. So from those angles, what can people do? Because obviously it, it's going to take more than just the players to make a change. I think sometimes two people will stand and, and they'll look at me and go, uh, th- those are, that's your son. And that's, and, and if you don't know the multicultural part of our family, and especially my wife's family, where, you know, she had two indigenous uh, brother and sister, uh, she has a Chinese sister, an African sister, you know, and, and so they had this whole multicultural family uh, that she grew up in, and, and she didn't really see color. And as I got into hockey, and as I got reffing, and co- as I got reffing, I, I mean, I'd seen it, and I'm from Saskatchewan, and I reffed indigenous hockey tournaments. And, and I, I mean, I, I wish I would have wrote a book about that alone, and I might one day. <laughs> because, you know, for every Ethan Bear that's playing today from that group of people, there's 10 more of them there that could be playing because the skills are off the chart. But you sometimes, you know, we put those things into these compartments and we say, well, th- this isn't the way it's been or, or this isn't the way it has been. And and I, it, it does come down to educating and it does come down to, you know, how do we unite people through this, right? So, and how can we unite them through this and see it through uh, my eyes that I seen it, you know, and I told the referees this, that no, here's a, here's a white dad trying to explain it to somebody who's maybe a brown dad and thinks that, you know, I I just don't understand. And, and I just don't understand like they would understand. I get that, but it's trying to educate that I do understand because I've gone through it, how they're going to go through it, maybe with their kids. and, And we just, we just don't want them to go through it. And it is educating. And I love what Matt said about that because it's so true. You know, somebody says something, they slip up and boy, okay, we can't, we're, we're not taking that person to the end of the thing. You know, it's like, hey, let's educate. We have to educate. We have to find this means of how we educate and get the points across. And, and so that everybody can be, and it can be inclusive game for everybody. And I, I think the more we do to unite and and this is one of the programs that I'm working on right now is that we're we're tr- we're trying to come up with uh you know some other things for uh the WHL and Hockey Canada or Hockey Alberta and and all of our communities so that we can teach it through there and, and and have people you know have a better understanding the more understanding and education people get then maybe the more they can understand it you know so from a referee's point of view 
if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times. And, uh, you know, those are always kinds of things that people never really wanted to stand up for. You know, whether they had brown kids or white kids, it, it just nobody ever wanted to stand up for it. And um, of all the times that we and the boys had this, and my wife and I had went through these times with the boys, and we just said, okay, we're just going to, we're going to turn our other cheek today. We're going to, we're going to put our heads up high, and we're going to walk out of the rink, and we're going to be the better person. And one day, one day, this is going to change, you know, and, and I'm glad this one day is here. And, and we're, and we've started down this path with HDA and with all the things that we can do around that to support each other, because that way, there's going to be a whole bunch of a whole new hockey culture. And that's what we want to do is change the hockey culture. And when you mentioned the HDA, Matt, the Hockey Diversity Alliance is something uh it's it's pretty new. In June, uh, you and some fellow NHL players took a stand. You really took your voice and, and made it public. Uh, so you talk a little bit just about uh, the Hockey Diversity Alliance. Um, who's a part of it? I know Akeem Alou and, and Evander Kane are, are two of the, the founders of it with you. If you talk a little bit about the Hockey Diversity Alliance and what you've already accomplished and what lies ahead for it. What we've already accomplished is, you know, building a foundation for kids to, you know, feel that empowerment of being a colored hockey player and knowing that there's a whole group of us out there who have experienced some of the same things and, and you know, won't stand for it anymore. And then it's basically the grassroots programs that we really want to start with. We know that's the next generation coming up and we have to educate them and, and, and try to make the game more accessible for them. So we've been, uh, We've been in the works trying to, uh, you know, in the last couple of months, get sponsors and people who, who back, you know, our mission statement and what we want to accomplish in hockey and, and change the game. So it's it's been very exciting stuff. I'm looking forward to just growing that and really making uh, making the game better for, you know, hopefully hundreds and, and thousands of kids, you know, not even just in North America, but uh, worldwide. And Charlie, when, when you speak about unity, I know, um, you know, for professional athletes or celebrities, they all have a, a big platform, a big voice they can use uh, for really whatever they feel like using it for. And, you know, for to see your son, uh, you know, and the other NHL players use their platform for something like this, you know, be vulnerable, speak out, take a stand. We saw in August uh, with the NHL playoffs resuming, Matt gave a, a very compelling and powerful speech, really. It captivated the hockey world and I think set forward a, a lot of change in the game so just from from your end of things you know as a father uh how does that make you feel seeing that and, and what matt is is already accomplished uh, in bringing equality to the game you know i think as uh I speak for my wife and myself here you know it's uh you're so proud when you watch your kids do things uh, off the ice. You know, people always tell you about the things they did on the ice. And we were always uh, as proud or more proud of the things they did off the ice. And people would say, I met them there and I met them downtown and I seen them and I ran into them and they said hi. And they stopped and took time and talked to me and talked to my son. And my son was on his way and, you know, he needed that little extra and he gave it to him that day. And and so, when you know, when you see him in these, in these roles and and you get to see it like that. It just, I mean, it fills your heart with with all the things that we've talked about and all the things that you know people have talked to you about about them. And I guess those were all the things we always that we grew up with talking to them about was, hey, yeah, we life's not going to give you anything you're not going to fight for and work hard for. And really, life it, it is is not really that easy. And and you got to get after it. And you got to get doing the things you want to do. And at some point, you're going to be able to do the things you want to do and say what you want to say and and have that really, you know, be able to change a lot of lives if you if you can get going and, and know that when you're on these paths, it's different paths than most people take. And and if it was easy, everybody would do it. There's nothing easy about it. And so it, it just fills you up with so much pride when you can you know, when you can see them on their, on their, on their ways and, and doing what they want to do and, and, and making a difference, you know. And I think that's a, a great note to end on. Again, uh, you know, we, we won't keep you mad. I know it's a, a busy time for you now, so we'll let you both go. But again, thank you so much to both of you, Matt and Charlie, for taking the time to, to speak with us. I know, you know, as someone who never really honestly experienced uh, inequality growing up playing hockey, you know, from our end, all we can do is, is lear- listen and learn. You know, we can never fully understand. So, you know, for people like both of you who stand up uh, and speak out, I know we really appreciate it. And just thank you again for joining us. And thank you for all you're both doing to to continue to grow the game. Yeah, you're welcome. 
A huge thank you again to Matt and Charlie Dumba for taking the time to speak with us, uh, especially Matt, who's in the middle of the season, doesn't really have a, a ton of spare time, but it's a great perspective from those two when it comes to racism and inequality in hockey from a, from a couple of different angles. And of course, both of them doing great things to really move forward and to make hockey a, a safer and more accepting place for everyone. And now for another perspective, uh, when we hear about inequality in the game, we immediately think of it from a player's standpoint. Uh, and we all know that officials already get a hard enough time uh, on the ice from the crowd and from coaches and from players and everyone really, you know, it's uh, that's kind of the nature of the gig, unfortunately. But just like anyone else on the ice, they can also be a target of discrimination. So back in the fall, Hockey Alberta officials made it public that they're going to take extra steps to combat inequality in the game and Sikh official Sanjeev Bagrath from Edmonton shared his story of the discrimination he's faced as an official. Uh, so we chatted with Sanjeev a few weeks ago to talk more about the importance of equality in the game, uh, the steps being taken by officials, and really just the world of officiating as a whole. Uh, he shares some great stories as well uh, about what hockey and officiating means to him. So here we go. With us now is North Region official Sanjeev Bagrath, a longtime official up in Edmonton. So Sanjeev, uh, thanks a lot for doing this and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here. So first off, uh, since you do more for the game than, than just officiate, uh, can you share with us all the ways you're involved with hockey in Alberta and for how long? I work on the executives, on the secretary. Um, so I sit with the North Region and uh, done that for at least uh, five or six years. I've been an assigner, so assigned officials to games and, and then uh, worked as a mentor, helping our younger officials uh, grow and uh, develop in uh, Alberta. And I think we can all agree that, uh, you know, at least from an outsider's perspective, that being an official is a, a pretty tough gig. You're under a lot of scrutiny all the time. But what made you want to become an official? <laughs> you're right. Like at the end of the night, you're not always seen as, you know, the best in the best light. Let's put it that way. And the only other guys in stripes are the only other people who are going to support you that night. But uh, it started off when I was like 13. And one of my childhood friends, Chris, came to my mom and said, Hey, like, I'm going to start roughing. Can Sam, you know, start roughing as well? He didn't ask me, just thought, oh, I'll go straight to his mom. And my mom said, yeah, you know what? Let's, let's get him involved. And 20 plus years later, still at it. And I wasn't a very good hockey player, um, but I had a passion for the game. You know, I love to sit and watch hockey. I like to talk about hockey. And this just gave me another opportunity to be part of the game. My playing days were kind of coming to an end. And my friend Chris came up with this great opportunity for us. And uh, he did it for a few years and then left and, and left me. And But I got hooked. And I think one of the things officiating has done is it taught me a lot of life lessons. So, you know, you have to be prepared. So meaning you got to know the rule book. You also have to prepare yourself mentally. So knowing like who's playing, um, knowing like what's happened in the past, looking at, you know, when you're actually in the game, you have to remain calm, but you also have to be assertive during those tough times. It's the best seat in the house. I always tell people that officiating a hockey game, you get to be part of the story. And the story is a team's maybe lost three in a row or a team has won six in a row, or maybe they made a trade or, you know, they brought in a new coach. You get to be part of that story. You don't want to be too involved in that story, but you get an opportunity to be part of the story and you get the best seat to observe the story. And it's been a great opportunity. Lots of my friends uh, I've made from officiating um, are still lifelong friends. You know, there's guys that still officiate. There's guys that have left, um, even girls as well. It's amazing the camaraderie and the friendships that you, you know, develop out of officiating. The other thing is officiating also helped my professional career. You know, those things where you learn to remain calm and collected and the communication and the teamwork, I can use that in my everyday career, you know, and it's helped me that way. And, you know, I'd encourage people to get involved in officiating. If they're looking for another avenue or their playing days have come to an end, here's an opportunity. Be part of the game. It's critical because officials are needed. Somebody's got to drop the puck to start the game. Somebody's got to call the offsides, the icings and the goals. Um, if I touch on kind of a personal story, officiating helped me during my tough times. When I was 20, I lost my mom to cancer. When you're 20, that's hard. You look at life differently and you think your world's come to an end. It was hard on my dad, hard on my family, uh, my brother, our extended family. But my mom always said near the end, you know, officiating is your passion. Stick with it. And so that spring, she passed away. That summer, I remember sitting down and talking to my dad about life. And he said, you know, Sanj, are you going to continue to officiate? And I said, you know, dad, I, I said, I, I don't think so. 
I think that chapter's closed. I, I think I'm going to move on. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you have a passion for this. I see it. Your mom saw it in you too. Don't give it up. He said, create goals for yourself and create goals. And as hard as your mom worked to try and battle cancer, keep that in the back of your mind. Utilize that as like your driving force. So after a couple of days, uh, you know, I sat down. I said, you know what? As a 20-year-old, I'm, I'm going to actually listen to my dad here. And uh, I created goals. I wanted to be a referee in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. I wanted to make youth sports, college, and work senior AAA men's hockey. Didn't know how I was going to get there, but I'm going to get there. I'm very fortunate, blessed. We have a great family, aunts, uncles. They don't live here in Edmonton, but you know, you can pick up the phone and you can talk to them. They've always been supportive. My dad has always been my number one supporter. My family was a great support. Officials that I worked with were a great support because there are times when I needed a hand. I needed a shoulder to lean on and the officials I worked with were there to help me. And that journey to getting towards those goals was not easy. You know, there were lots of bumps in the roads and it definitely wasn't a smooth ride. At times I was like, what's the point? But I always remembered what my mom said. You have a passion. Continue with that. And you know what? Through that, that journey and those bumps, that helped me with the grieving process. Officiating helped me dealing with the death of my mom. You know, and I'm very fortunate to achieve my goal, appreciative of how hard it was to get there and, and and strongly grateful and grateful for the support that I got without officiating. Who knows what I, what would have happened, you know, but I can, I can say I'm proud to achieve, you know, being a referee in those leagues and still working those leagues. That's uh wow. That's, that's a really powerful story. And I, I can only imagine really hard for you to tell, but we really appreciate you sharing that because, you know, it's important for us at Hockey Alberta, when we talk about the word community and hockey community, it's important for everyone to remember that it's not just for the players, that you don't just have to play the game to, to get all those experiences out. So to hear what the hockey community did for you, especially the officiating community, is amazing to hear and I think can really be inspirational for a lot of people. So hearing that, you know, and for all the people out there who are maybe on the fence about officiating, especially because of the, the negativity that comes with it, you know, I, th- I think you already just said a lot in your in your last answer, but what what would you say to those people who are kind of on the fence about officiating? Uh, What can you tell them about that? I guess that you haven't already said about what they can really get out of the officiating side of the game. It's such a close knit community within officiating that we don't want to see anybody fail. We want to work together because at the end of the day, we want to make sure we're being the best that we can because our job is to call penalties and we want to make sure that that experience for those players is the best that we can do, the best we can provide. Officiating is about sharing knowledge. So when I started as an official, I had to learn from somebody else and they showed me the ropes. And that's what it is. It's about passing down knowledge. So the guys that work in the Alberta Junior League, Western Hockey League, they'll pass down information into the under 18 AAA. Then they pass that knowledge down to the under 16 AAA under 14, and so on. So it filters its way down. We also, by doing that, it passes on information. And as you learn more information, you get more excited about it. Because when you try these things in your games, and you're like, oh, wow, that worked. Now I can know how to deal with a hostile coach. And it's about experience. And that's what it is. When you're in situations, you draw on your experiences that you've had. So I can say the first time I had an experience of a coach yelling at me, I probably just stood there and were like, "Uh oh, now what? I was like, oh, I'm not sure. But as you start to develop and you start to work with some of the older officials and more experienced officials and supervisors work with you, it becomes a coaching. So just like a player, players learn, you know, positions or when they start way back in that initiation stage and they're just kind of skating around, then they slowly learn as they grow how to play the position. How do you play center? How do you play defense? It's the same with officiating. As you develop, you're learning the game as you move, as you move through. And, and so shifting gears a bit now, uh, you know, the, the focus of this episode really is on equality in the game or unfortunately sometimes or maybe more often than not the lack thereof in certain situations. So at the beginning of the season, Hockey Alberta officials put a special emphasis on stamping out racism and inequality. And you came forward, did a video for us as well, speaking about your experiences. Uh, you went, were very public about and specific about some of the racism you've encountered as an official, which it couldn't have been easy to do either. But how important was it for you to, to speak out and, and share your story and uh, really just bring more awareness to the issue? In November of 2019, uh, 2019, Akeem Alou comes out and he talks about the racism and inequality that he faced, you know, as an African-American player. Fast forward to May of 2020, 
the George Floyd situation occurs, which is traumatic and devastating. And when I, when I kind of reflect and I sat back in the summer, I said, I've experienced this. I don't want an, another person to experience what I went through. I don't want another East Indian official, black official to be called discriminatory remarks. I want other visible minorities to be part of the game. It doesn't matter your race, your gender, your sexual orientation. We want you to officiate. You, that's what we want. Those issues, social injustice issues are part of hockey. Inequality is part of hockey. It's always been in the back burner and, and kind of there, but no, no one's really talked about it. And no one's kind of come forward and said, hey, we've got to talk about this issue. So as a Sikh, I can't just sit back and say, man, I wish we'd do something about it. That's not being part of the solution. The first step to working towards resolution is by saying, hey, we have an issue. And it's an uncomfortable topic to talk about. Even for myself to come forward, you know, when I was approached by Hockey Alberta, it started off as two sentences and then three and four, and then, and then it morphed into, you know, a, a page long story, but it's uncomfortable. So as it, as it is uncomfortable for people to talk about it, it just isn't uncomfortable for people who are visible minorities or gay or lesbian, uh, male or female to talk about those discriminatory times that they've had faced in the game. The past is the past. We can't do anything about the past. But what we can do is we can learn about it, reflect back on the past, say, okay, that was the past. How can we shape the future? How can we shape the future for more success? How can we work on this? But just talking about it isn't enough. We need to actually do something about it. So if you look, there's two guys in or in the province of Alberta doing Apna hockey and Lally and Danby Bart, they've done a phenomenal job with their program, bringing hockey to visible minorities, encouraging visible minorities to participate in the game. Hockey is a huge part of the culture in, in Edmonton and, and Calgary, and they're providing that opportunity. Down in the U.S., Rico Phillips, he's created the Flint Inner Project, and that's allowing for inner city kids who maybe wouldn't have the opportunity to play sports or play hockey to play hockey. He's giving them another avenue. He's helping them into get integrated into the community. We need to talk about this. We want to get more people of diverse backgrounds in our game. And I think the first step is talking about it, bringing it to the, to the forefront. I want to share my story because if there's others out there, we want them to come forward. Tell us your stories because then we have stories. Now we can work on the solution. Let's make this game, which I'm passionate about and love and it's given back so much to me, let's make it even better. It's a transformation that we need in this game. And it's a transformation in kind of the approach in the hockey world. But the only way we can do that is if we all listen, talk, and then work together collaboratively on a solution. And that's so well said. And again, you know, I think it's important, I know for myself to, to keep hearing these stories and, and for people such as yourself who are brave enough to stand up and, and share your stories, I think is so important. And for you, you know, the, you've been through a lot of adversity in a lot of different ways as, as you've just shared and never quit the game. You kept going. So for anyone out there, whether it's a player, official, uh, a coach, anyone involved in the game who comes up against that kind of adversity um, or you know, inequality, discrimination, what's your message to them to, to really use the sport and use the people around you to, to push through and keep going? Adversity can be motivation. And that's what I needed. My mom passed away. I needed some sort of motivation. I needed some sort of fire, some drive. When you get that fire and you get that drive and people see how passionate you are, people reach out to you. People want to help you. People want to see you successful. And I just think about when I, I wasn't always the best skater. I had to work on my skating. The amount of people that have helped me on my skating is incredible. And without that, I probably wouldn't have achieved my goals. So I encourage anybody, if you have goals, work on them, work on them, put all your effort in them, find something that's going to motivate you. And by doing that, the sky is the limit. So, so one of the things that, that you've been a part of and that officials in Alberta have taken on is, is the officials diversity committee. So can you talk a little bit ab about that and, and, and what the goal is for that committee? Yeah, sure. So um, after the video was done, I didn't want the momentum to stop. So I approached Hockey Alberta and said, like, how can we continue to evolve this? And they said, you know, we can put you in charge of uh, a task force and, and working on continuing the inequality discussion. So with a few members, I've worked, we've worked on creating the officials diversity committee. So we call it the ODC and uh, it's about making the call on equality. What we're about is making sure that our officiating culture, it fosters diversity and equality in our game. We want officials to feel comfortable being an official, being in the dressing room, regardless of your race, your gender, your sexual orientation. We want you to be comfortable. 
we want more officials. The numbers of officials decrease every year. How can we get more officials in? Hopefully, you know, the ODC can kind of help foster that. And the last thing we can talk about here is how we're going to go about that. Well, we're going to look at trying to support and training our officials because we want it again to be welcoming. We want to be accepting to everyone. At the same time, we need to make sure we're talking about those tough subjects in terms of the social injustices. And we want to do that through integration, collaboration, and education. So in the coming months, our group's going to continue to work on this and develop some strategies on this and looking at you know education for when our next season rolls out. So hopefully September um, and have the ODC ready for uh, officials then. Well, Sanjeev, we will let you go, but really appreciate you you coming on the show and, you know, not only sharing your story to bring some awareness to inequality of the game, but also share, you know, sharing a, a difficult story to, to show everyone the power of hockey and, and what the hockey community can do for everyone. So again, uh, we really appreciate it and, and all the best. I hope you're, you're staying safe up there in Edmonton and, and uh, you know, looking forward to the next time we can chat. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's been, uh, it, was, it was great to talk chat about this topic and you know i appreciate you willing to talk about it and ask questions i can imagine it probably would be a little bit uncomfortable at times but uh you know thank you and thank you to hockey alberta for the opportunity thank you again to sanjeev for sharing some powerful stories with us and for the work he's doing to bring more equality to the game uh and going back to the story of his passing of his mother and how the game really helped him get through that it's always important to have those reminders and hear those stories to know and remember just how powerful the hockey community really can be And I wasn't lying when I said this was a longer episode. We still have one more guest to get to. But first, as always, it's time to catch up on what's going on around Alberta. So here's what you need to know. Hockey Alberta's Coach of the Month program is wrapping up for the season. So if you're listening to this in time, you have until March 22nd to get those nominations in to recognize a coach who has made a huge difference in your community. Selected coaches will win a coaching package from Players Bench Team Apparel valued at over $500. And with this season, more than ever, I think, coaches in our province have shone the brightest, uh, leading their teams through a really difficult and strange season, maybe and hopefully the strangest season they'll ever experience. So if there is ever a time to recognize a coach for all that they do, uh, now's the time. And applications are now open for local minor hockey associations to host the NHL-NHLPA First Shift program for the 2021-22 season. If you haven't heard of the First Shift yet, it's an outstanding program for new-to-hockey youth, uh, which sets the player up with head-to-toe gear and six weeks of instruction. Uh, Again, really great program, great way to, to introduce someone to the game and at a lower cost too, so it's lower risk just in case, uh, you know, knock on wood that it's not for them or they're not ready for it yet. Uh, a, a great way to get started at the very least. So if it's something that interests you and your community, I suggest you, you get in your local association's ear at, and make that application. And our partners at the Coaches site will host its Global Skills Showcase in March. The online event presented by Instat will feature some of the top skills coaches in the game sharing their knowledge and that runs March 22nd to 26th, so you can head to thecoachessite.com for more details. Uh, again, uh, especially in late March, a great resource for coaches if you want to learn a little bit more and, and just hear from some of the best in the game. And congratulations are in order for the Canmore U13A Eagles, who are representing Alberta as a finalist for the Chevy Good Deeds Cup. Voting is now closed, and at this moment, we, we don't really know who won, uh, but if the Eagles win their charity of choice. The Rocky Mountain Adaptive will receive a $100,000 donation, which is incredible. So, of course, we're sending all the best to the Eagles and, and good luck. And last but not least, the Hockey Alberta Foundation has once again been accepted as a participating charity in the Birdies for Kids program presented by Alta Link. Uh, a big, big program, a, a big boost for the foundation every year uh, with the fundraising program. Hockey Alberta Foundation will receive 100% of every donation accepted on its behalf and will allow for additional funding of up to 50% of that original donation. So when you donate, Birdies for Kids will match up to 50%, which is huge. It's the fourth year that the foundation has participated in the Birdies for Kids program. So again, a big fundraiser for the Hockey Alberta Foundation and the Every Kid, Every Community program. So for more information on how to donate, just head to HockeyAlbertaFoundation.ca. And that's what you need to know. As always, head to HockeyAlberta.ca for more information on any of the aforementioned subjects.
And now for our last guest, I had the opportunity to catch up with him back in January. So keep in mind, his title has changed since then. He's now the president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's Brian Burke, and I think we all know him as the one of, if not the most outspoken person in hockey. But he's also very outspoken on a number of key issues uh, and has been a huge driving force behind uh, the effort to eradicate homophobia in hockey with the You Can Play initiative. So without further ado, here we go. Well, our next guest knows a thing or two about hockey. He's previously served as the general manager for the Hartford Whalers, the Vancouver Canucks, the Anaheim Ducks, which included the franchise's first and only Stanley Cup in 2007, the Toronto Maple Leafs, where he's also served as team president, most recently as the president of hockey operations for the greatest team of all time, the Calgary Flames. <laughs> a little a little bias there. Uh, now that the NHL season up up and running again, very happy to see him on TV again as well with the, the trademark straight to the the point hockey analysis. Brian Burke, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. So it's no secret that you've left quite a a legacy on the game, which includes one of the biggest draft day moves of all time, drafting the Sedin brothers, second and third overall in 1999, the two jerseys right behind you there. Uh, Perhaps just as impressive as your hockey resume, uh, if not more, in a lot of ways, is the work you've done and continue to do as an activist and advocate for equality in the game, which mainly comes in the form of You Can Play, the the longstanding campaign to eradicate homophobia in sports. So to start off, can you kind of touch a bit more on the history of You Can Play and what it's accomplished so far and I think almost the, the decade now that it's been around. Right. So for those who don't know, uh, I had a son, Brendan, who was killed in a car accident not long after he came out as gay and uh, with the full support of his family. And we just decided as a family that we weren't going to let his legacy end with his death. So we started the You Can Play project. And basically, the message is to end homophobia in sports. Basically, if you're good enough to play on our team, you can play. If you can play, you can play. And we had a bunch of PSAs shot by NHL players saying, if you can shoot, you can shoot. If you can fight, you can fight. If you can pass, you can pass. If you can play, you can play. And um, we find that stigma against homosexual athletes is not as great in women's sports and never has been. But we think You Can Play has helped a lot of young men in particular, but a lot of women as well, in staying in team sports where they might otherwise have given up. And when you mention your son, Brendan, who came out as the, the student manager of the university, uh, Miami University hockey team, you know, at the time, you didn't really see much of that, if any of that in sports. So obviously goes without saying a, a very proud moment for you. Uh, what have you seen? Have you or have you seen things change much since then? Again, uh, probably over a decade now. Well, I've been in pro sports for 32 years. I worked in on teams and at the league. And uh, before that, I represented players when I was practicing law. So I've been around the game for pretty close to 45, 46 years, 47 years. And I'm very grateful that I've seen considerable dramatic change over that time. I, I base my yardstick for progress is based on the last you know 40 years, uh, my, most of my adult life. And I've seen dramatic changes through society and in sports on the acceptance and not tolerance. I don't like tolerance. Tolerance is, you know, you tolerate cats in the room, right? Acceptance is accepting people, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of whom they go home with, regardless of which church they go to. I've seen great progress in that time. And recently, on the, on the not so much on the LGBTQ plus front, but also on the, the whole women and women's inclusion in sports, the rash of hirings of women in, in management positions in professional sports is going at warp speed. It's been fantastic. Kim Ng is now the, the general manager of a major league baseball team. Many teams in the NHL have started promoting women and putting them in hockey positions. So I think there's been great progress made just in the, in the last few years. It's really accelerated. You got to understand, Ted, these attitudes, these people that despise homosexuals, these are attitudes of ignorance and bias and fear that have built up over centuries, centuries. These are not doors that you kick in. These are mud walls that have to crumble over time. And so people get frustrated and say, well, it's still not, we're still not equal. And I'm like, well, I can tell you from when I was in high school to now, I told Brendan this when he came out, I said, it's much easier being a gay, this is 10 years ago, uh, 10 and a half years ago, it's much easier being a gay male today than it was when I was in high school. And I told him I went to high school and high school, Minnesota high school is three years. And there are 3000 kids in my high school. So if you look at my yearbook, there's four pages of B's, right? <laughs> there's a thousand 
a thousand kids in the in the class and not one gay kid. I told Brendan that. He said, well, of course you had gay kids. I said, I know that, Brendan. Of course we did. But you were afraid at that point you were taking a real serious risk coming out. So I've seen that progress now. Uh, it's changed so dramatically. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for this whole Black Lives Matter. I see change coming societally in the U.S. Uh, towards greater equality and eliminating some of the discrimination, this horrible systemic racial discrimination, all of these fronts. I see progress. I'm encouraged by it, especially as I get older. I think, you know, I've seen so much change in my lifetime. I'm grateful for that. But there's still lots of work to be done. And, you know, kind of going back uh, to when we're talking about um, accessibility to hockey, we've talked about it a lot uh, at Hockey Alberta as that looking a lot like uh, being able to afford playing the game, which is, of course, very important. But I think accessibility to the game also includes making sure that hockey is safe and, a, and an accepting place for everyone. Um, so again, that all the activism you're seeing, again, to uh, whether it's sexism, homophobia, racism, and really any kind of form of exclusion, you know, we're seeing more and more of it. You know, unfortunately, how much of that still really exists in the game at any level that's, that still needs to be stamped out? Well, players will tell you, uh, African-Canadian players will tell you, black players will tell you, that they, the players playing in the league now endured racial taunts, uh, slurs. But now in Alberta, I'm sure it's the same in Ontario. If you're caught, if a teammate or a, a, an opponent, a guy on the opposing team hears you make the comment, they can verify it, or an official hears it, you're in trouble. You're going to get suspended. And that's the way it should be because there's no room for that in our game. The test should be, are you good enough to play on our team? It shouldn't be, are you gay? Are you black? It should be, are you good enough to play on our team? So again, it's frustrated as people get with the lack of progress here. I look at it from a completely different spectrum. So if you're 25 and an idealist, you may think, how can this still exist in this day and age? And I look at it as a 65-year-old and say, God, we've come a long way. And I'm grateful for that. So lots of work to be done. We're nowhere near the finish line. Um, I march in pride parades whenever I can. I march in a bunch of them. And I hope the day comes when we don't have a pride parade. We don't need a pride parade. We don't need a chance to say to people, here we are, we're important, we need your support. And we get to a point where we don't even need a pride parade or we have a inclusion day parade that's for lgbtq and african americans african canadians whatever but to me again i focus on the progress I, i'm a half half glass full guy and i'm grateful for all the change that's happened in my lifetime especially in the last 10 years and I think Brendan's been a part of that. So looking back on, you know, with you being a very outspoken activist, and there's been more and more over the years, and, you know, to, to quote one of my favorite movies of all time in, in Moneyball, you know, the the first guy through the wall always comes out a little bloody. Um, you know, so 10, 10 plus years ago, when, when you started speaking out on this issue, did you, did you get a lot of blowback? Because obviously, you know, we've come a long way in 10 years, but back then could have been received very differently. As you know, Ted, my reputation is that I'm a no-nonsense guy. There aren't too many people that would stand up to me and challenge me on this topic. And there's very little. And the league's been great. The NHL's been great. They're right there shoulder to shoulder with everyone else in this fight to make inclusivity and diversity a critical part of the path that we're taking. You know, and the league, not only is it the right thing to do, it's a good business case to do it because the demographics in Canada are changing dramatically. They've changed dramatically in the last 10 years. We need to be inclusive. We need to incorporate all these different segments of society into our game. And so the NHL has been great. The NHLPA has been great. The players have been great. Um, and I think we've made a lot of progress. I really do. And at Hockey Alberta, one of our core values is community, making a difference for all Albertans, which really means we want to make every single person feel like they can be part of a hockey family, whether they're a player, coach, volunteer, official. So in your words, when we're talking about community, how important is it for everyone to feel like they are part of a community in this game? Well, it's vital. And it, and it takes the support of the non-members. In other words, if a gay player feels he's alone in a room, he needs allies. He needs guys on his team to help him or her team to help her. So it's partly people have to be more activists in this regard, in my view. That's one change I'd like to see. But just the fact that these are directives from Hockey Alberta, from Hockey Canada, that inclusiveness is vital and people who fight the system will be punished. And when Brendan came out, his reception at Miami University from the hockey team was, was overwhelmingly positive. It was great. Great bunch of kids. And I played hockey at Providence College. That's my favorite. But my second favorite school I follow is Miami because these players were so good to my son. So, uh, no, it's, um, again, I think it's important we keep fighting the fight. We have to stay vigilant. We have to reinforce this. But you look at the kids coming up now. They're more well-informed. They're more mature. They're more open. They're more inclusive. 
society is becoming that way, which is a great blessing. And sports might be the last bastion, the military might be, the police force might be, but again, great progress on all fronts. And you just did a great job of answering actually my, my next uh, bit of questioning here. I think really, uh, really important for people to know what is the, that first step towards, um, you know, moving towards inequality for an individual. And I think too, having those, those advocates, those voices, you know, you talked about when you spoke out 10 plus years ago, I think really important to have people like that in the game and education is key as well. And when we're talking homophobia, I think I can speak for a lot of a lot of people who grew up playing hockey, you know, the locker room talk, you know, you could uh, could throw a slur out there, whether it's on the ice, in the locker room, directed at an opposing player in a malicious way, or even directed at a teammate in a fun way. I think it's important to learn, right? That's all, it's all harmful. It doesn't matter how you mean it or what you say. Yeah, it's, and I'm firmly convinced it's mostly habitual. You know, players have gotten in the habit of using that language. I confess I was as ignorant as anyone else. When I played hockey, I, I use those slurs. It, it, a guy hits you from behind and you want to pick up the biggest rock you can. So you call him a multi-syllabic word and, you know, with a horrible uh, homophobic uh, slur. But that's what you called him back when I played. And and I was just as guilty as everyone. I, my son coming out has really been a blessing for me. I've changed. I didn't have any gay friends back then. I do now. And I've been the beneficiary of that. I don't use those terms. I don't let my players use those terms. So there's been a great uh, a great shift in the game. And, and the league now, if you and they have done it, they will suspend you if you use homophobic language. And they have done it. And I was, when I worked at the league, I issued the first suspension for a racial slur. And so this is the, the league's been at the forefront on this. And they've been great supporters of this. But a kid should not feel uncomfortable in the dressing room. He shouldn't feel, he or she shouldn't feel uncomfortable getting dressed to go out for practice. They shouldn't be the victim of slurs, whether they're racial or homophobic. They shouldn't be the victim of any type of abuse at all. It should be a positive, fun environment for kids at play. And that should remain the same as they move up the ladder. Can't say enough, you know, seeing seeing what You Can Play has done already and I think will continue to do. And I think obviously worth mentioning as well that, um, you know, it all started with your son, Brendan, and I know your son, Patrick, is... Uh, a, I think probably who the one who spearheaded uh, you can play if I'm if I'm correct there. Um, but your support of the game comes in many forms, and I think from our side, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the support of the Every Kid Every Community program and Hockey Alberta Foundation. When you were here in Alberta working with the Calgary Flames, you you supported some events and um, and really got behind that as well. Um, on that note, too, how important is it to make sure that every kid has access to the game? Well, you're talking about two battles. One is the battle on inclusivity. And we're winning that battle slower than we'd like to, but we're winning that battle. And all the amateur hockey federations across Canada are insisting on it. And that's where I remember reading a story when Jackie Robinson was in his first year in major league baseball, I broke the color barrier and he was being booed in some stadium. I should look this up so I can tell it more factually, but Pee Wee Reese, a teammate of his went over and stood with him as he got booed by 25 or 30,000 people. And put his arm around them. And that's what these folks need in the LGBT community. They need allies. They need support. And we're getting there. And, and like the, uh, the pride parades I march in, they're packed. They're jammed with people. So what I say to people is if you really want to support this community, it's like people who say they support women's hockey. And I'm like, really? Support women's hockey? Do you go to games? Did you go to the Calgary Inferno games? Did you go to the Toronto Furies games? Because I do. I was a season ticket holder in Calgary. I even have favorite players. Like, I follow the women's game closely enough. I have favorite players. Rebecca Johnson is my favorite player. She lives in Calgary. Um, I think she's a great hockey player. I love watching her play. And we become friends, too. Before that, it was Angela Ruggiero, Julie Chu on the U.S. team. I love them both. So, I say to people, you support hockey. Did you go to the games? Did you buy tickets? Then you don't really support it. It's popular now to say I support women's hockey, but unless you go to the games, unless you actively support it in some manner, you don't really support it. Same thing here. If you say I'm in favor of the LGBTQ plus community, I support it, then get involved. Join a gay straight alliance if you're at a high school. Make a donation to P Flag. Make a donation that you can play. Become an active part of the community that's helping this group of people. Uh, or don't claim to be. Don't say, oh, I support gay rights. You don't, unless you really do. So write a check, vote the right way. And then you asked me if I got much pushback, Ted. And I want to come back to that. Not to my face and not publicly. Uh, there's a horrible underbelly on the internet that just these ignorant cowards that hide behind a computer screen. I got some horrible emails from people. 
you know, just uh, God took your son away from you because he was gay. I mean, that kind of sick stuff. So I got some blowback, but not from anyone that I respected and not from anyone in hockey. The, the other GMs, I, th I think there were 20 GMs at, at Brendan's funeral right in the middle of the season. The NHL came. Um, so, no, it, it's important. Don't just say you support this community. Take a step. Well, let me step back. I, I, I do as I, I tend to do. Uh, I ramble a bit. And I said to you, we got, we're fighting this war on two fronts. One is inclusivity. The other is cost. And the cost of the game is, is out of reach of a lot of people. We have to find a way to solve that because that cuts across a racial divide by the mere fact of the economic inequality of, of people of color in Canada and the U.S. So if hockey's unaffordable for one group of society, it impacts, has a greater impact on the, the socio socioeconomic boundaries and barriers to people. So we have to find a way to make this game affordable for everybody. And uh, like there's all kinds of programs. Um, and, and that's another thing where I say to people, if you're really concerned about inclusivity in hockey, then write a check. But be an active part of the solution. Don't say you support the solution. Become an active part of the solution. It's like I read about the food banks in Canada and how they're, they're undermanned right now or under-resourced. So we had a family meeting and said, okay, we're going to make a family donation to the food bank. So we did. Haley Wickenheiser had her beat COVID-19 program back when the pandemic began, I think last April. We had a family meeting. We made a donation to that. So, and again, I'm in a fortunate position where I can do that. But even if it's $10, even if it's $20, take a step, take a step and become a supporter of these communities. So we have two, two fights going on. One is the inclusivity fight. And the other is keep the game affordable. Yeah, I, I love that message. And that's why I think you are such a, a great advocate for the game is don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. So again, we could talk about this for for three hours. I don't want to take up much more of your time, especially with with NHL season in, in full swing now. I want to really quickly mention your book, uh, Burke's Law, A Life in Hockey, widely known as the gruffest man in hockey, which you might have st stolen that title from me, or maybe I'm third, I don't know. But as a, a very outspoken um, advocate for the game, you say what you feel and you mean what you say. So I think there's a, a lot of great stuff in this book, uh, Raw Emotion. If you want to just speak a little bit quickly to, to what the, the book really uh, focuses on, obviously it's your, your life in hockey, but really what can be taken away from it? Because I, and I think uh, as a, for hockey fans, uh, probably a really great read. Well, thank you. First off, I'm glad you enjoyed the book. When you write a book, my number one goal was that anyone who would buy that book and spend $25, I wanted them to enjoy the book. And that's the overwhelming response I've gotten from people. It was a great read. They enjoyed it. Stephen Brunt wrote the book with me and did a wonderful job of telling my stories. And what I told Stephen was, I want people to feel like they're in my office. I want people to feel like they're sitting beside me on the draft floor when I did the deal for the Sedin Twins. And that's why if you're a hockey fan, if you notice, and you probably noticed this, Ted, on the Sedin deal, I went right back to their draft year, our initial impressions of them, and then the world championships, how it changed, and every intricate bit of maneuvering to make the deal with Tampa Bay, make the deal with Chicago, then with Tampa Bay, then with Atlanta. So people know the story. Oh, he managed to get these two picks, but the story of how I got the picks and everything, it's in there in great detail. So I think a non-hockey fan would find it interesting, but a hockey fan is going to find it fascinating because, oh, that's how that happened. Because even I had a couple GMs call me and say, I remember the deal. I was on the draft floor, but I didn't realize all the work that went into it to build up to that thing, that moment. So uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I think people will enjoy it. It was sold out in Alberta for six or seven days before Christmas time. You couldn't get it. A friend of mine who works at the Calgary Zoo said she went to three bookstores and couldn't find it. Uh, I think they're stocked now. So if you want to pick up a copy, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, a portion of the proceeds, and I haven't said this on any podcast or because I don't want people to think that's the reason we're trying to sell a book. But a portion of the proceeds is going to go to You Can Play. Wow, that's amazing. And I know the book was a pretty popular gift this year um, at the Hockey Alberta Gift Exchange, I know. and Yeah, now, by the way, it's not a kid's book. Just so anyone watching this podcast, it's not a kid's book. There's a lot of actual language like we talk in the hockey business and uh, you don't want your 10-year-old reading this book. No, no, that's a good a good PSA. And I think that's what's what's so great about the book too is is you don't mince words because sometimes to hear those uncomfortable things and, and know what goes on, right, is is 
is important as well. But a fantastic book. And, and between that and, and getting to chat with you now, I think uh, just a, a short, a really short look at the, the amazing life you've led in your career in hockey. So we can't thank you enough for doing this again. Really important. These are uncomfortable issues to talk about uh, and uncomfortable to hear. But I think it, it's really important to get those out there. So we really appreciate it because as amazing a game as hockey is, just like anything else, uh, it always needs improvement. The game always needs people such as yourself uh, and your family uh, to stand up and speak out for change. So thank you for doing this and thank you for all you do for the game. Uh, and best of luck with, with the NHL season. Thanks, Ted. Let me close by saying minor hockey, and we're the tip of the pyramid in the NHL, but the base of the pyramid is minor hockey from coast to coast in Canada. And groups like Hockey Alberta, Hockey BC, they're the groups that drive the engine and produce these young men and women that keep moving up the ladder. And we are dependent on you, and we are grateful for all that you do as well. So thank you. Well, and always, always appreciate hearing that. And and again, just thank you so much and, and take care and enjoy. It's a short season, but I know you're still going to enjoy it. It's going to be fun. Thank you. And once again, a huge thank you to Brian Burke for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, we sat on that interview for a little while as we put all the pieces of this episode together, but definitely worth the wait. Uh, and with that, one more thank you again to Matt and Charlie Dumba, as well as Sanjeev Bagrath for talking to us today. Just bringing, again, more awareness to the fact that, you know what, hockey's not perfect. Inequality does happen, and, and we need to work towards making hockey a safer place. But also for the, the four of them and, you know, and a lot of other people involved in the game, they are working really hard towards bringing awareness to the issues and and to finding solutions for those issues. So again, thank you to the four of them uh, for helping make this episode what it is. And, and again, I think having that, that focus on equality is huge. And that'll do it for episode eight of the Center Ice podcast. As always, a big thank you to producer Steve for all the work he does behind the scenes. And of course, thank you to you for tuning in. I'm Ted Emmett, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Center Ice Podcast. For this episode and more, head to HockeyAlberta.ca. If there's a topic you'd like covered on an upcoming episode, email info at HockeyAlberta.ca.